It's that time of week, the time you've been waiting for. It's time for Goat Gab, a weekly podcast about all things in the dairy goat industry. Sit back and enjoy an hour or so with your hosts, Laura Warren Hughes and Cameron Jedlowski, as we talk about ideas and topics that matter to the dairy goat world. Welcome back, Goat Gabbers, to an exciting episode of Goat Gab. As always, I'm one of your co-hosts, Cameron Jodlowski. And I am your other co-host, Laura Warren-Hughes. And we are excited to be here with you guys again for another fun week. Cameron, you're busy this week. Yes, Laura, I am busy. But you are also busy, too, because what I understand is you are babysitting the Grand Guinea Pigs, correct? (laughs) Well, you know, they're a lot less work than human grand babies are. But yes, I have Caroline's gri- guinea pigs in my office. So if you hear squeaking, it's not some bizarre baby goat noise or something else. It truly is guinea pigs in my office. So I had to explain <laughs> that to somebody on a business call today. They were like, I'm sorry, I'm just going to ask, what is that noise? And I said, I'm so sorry. It's a guinea pig. <laughs> in the childhood bedroom or well you know god bless caroline she decided that her mom you know since i'm working from home that i needed an office so she gave up her bedroom for that which is great but you know then the guinea pigs when they come and stay then they're here so i don't mind them they're happy little creatures i think they're kind of fun to have but i i do forget that they make noise so I hear their hay bill is less expensive, though. <laughs> Very much so, yes. But and they only eat Timothy hay, which is funny. So I guess I guess alfalfa is not good for them. I don't know. I I would think they'd like it, but anyway, they're two yeah, little they're two little guinea pigs, and they're really cute. So, well, this isn't a guinea pig podcast, but uh, Laura, what's happening in your goat world? Not your guinea pig world. Babies everywhere. The count is now at 14. We have 14 kids on the ground. So, um, yeah, it's it's fun. We're milking six and have uh, three more that are due this weekend. So it's just quickly, quickly coming. Everything's going well so far. Yeah. Yes. And it's milking six. Now, have you busted out the milk machine already or are you still milking? Oh, hand? heck yes. I'm a wimp. I'm a wimp. Yes. <laughs> It's really funny because some of our listeners may remember last year um, I had quite a few single kids and a few smatterings of twins here and there. Um, This year I've had two sets of twins and four sets of triplets. So um, I don't know what the difference is. I don't know if I managed better, you know, during breeding season, but um, we've got uh, babies everywhere. So pretty exciting and you see an increased milk production with that very much so i mean really um significant increase in milk production so and that's you know that's always fun i love i there's nothing that brings me more joy in the morning than to go out and see these beautiful full pretty rear udders i'm like oh my gosh you look so good you know it's only february and i'm already starting to get excited for show season to start so it's it's fun it's been fun so far and you've got you've got lots of babies on the ground too i've seen the picture 
Yeah, so we uh, also have uh, 13 uh, babies, right? Do you have 13? I have 14. 14, 14. We have 13 capped off today, our first group here. We are also milking six as well there on that. Uh, we started our kidding with our IVF babies, and uh, our first one was a goat that was um, had a little bit of stress, a little bit was a bit ketotic there in that, and then we had to end up inducing her pretty, well, not pretty early, but earlier than what we had liked, and then we um, had then we had some problems, and then we had to do a C-section and um, to repair a torn uterus. And then, um, like, like many torn uteruses, we have to remember that those are not always a successful procedure, and uh, we lost our first doe, which, which comes with the territory. Like, I'm not, not happy about it at all. I'm, not, I'm just, like, kind of upset upset that it happened um, and, and sad because, you, you know, she, she, was, she was a good goat. And she likes scratchies. But nonetheless here, um, we uh, finished up IVF kidding as well there on that. Um, and then very uneventful after that one. <laughs> and uh, our natural kiddings have been uneventful as well. So, um, yeah. So now that you're on the other side of those IVF kids, are you glad you did it? Was it worth it? Did you get what you had hoped for? I mean, the, the end question is, can you get more? The answer was no. We didn't. We, I mean, we got six. So think about it like this: there, and the way I look at it is, it truly was a numbers game, specifically from it there on that. You know, we put in, or we had about uh, sixty total OO sites that were recovered between the two donor does there on the, our production run that we did, and then from that there, those numbers just kept decreasing. But we had six live kids, so that was ten percent. So. It's it's good. We'll take that number as well. They're going from O site all the way down there as well. Forty uh, percent of the recips stuck until pregnancy as well. There on that, um, with half of them sticking until one hundred and thirty days, and then we had an abortion, and then um, you know that day one hundred and fifty, um, they all kitted out there on that. So, uh, what the uh, the goal was to make a buck. We we made two bucks. Or we got two bucks, so that was good. And we also got does as well there from both breeds. So we we got what we intended to do there on that. Um, we just spent more money doing it than we would traditionally. So there's kind of that. You know, I and, and I'm not asking that, I don't know, to be a turd about it or anything. I just really feel like it's important for our listeners to know, you know, assisted reproduction in the dairy goat industry has definitely lagged behind our boar goat friends, for example. But I think it's also important to realize it's not a, a done deal. I mean, you don't, it, it's important to be realistic of what you're going to get when you go through that, you know? Um, but on the other hand, Cameron, you got some kids out of a doe that is very valuable to your breeding program that you haven't been able to get kids out of, you know, for a couple of years, right? Correct. You are correct there on that. And one thing we got to remember, the technology for the boar goats is the same for the dairy goats. I mean, it's not different technology there on that, that we're lagging against here. I think the biggest thing is that we're lagging in just being able to say, hey, we need to put up the resources in order to get in on the craze that the boar goat people have already figured out. Does that make sense, Laura? Oh, yes. I didn't mean that it's lagging like in technology. I just mean we haven't embraced it. We as an industry have not embraced it to the same level 
that the Borgoat people do. Correct. Correct there on that. And yeah, we, we did get everything there that we wanted. And I mean, my wife looks at her Toggenberg Doe kid and says, this is everything I ever wanted in a breeding. Now, the question becomes is, will that Toggenberg try to kill herself? Because she is just dumb. Laura, I'm going to tell you that right now. Like, she will constantly fling herself at the straw bale to try to climb up it. And she is not a mountain goat. <laughs> she's just, maybe she just feels invincible. Oh, she she thinks she's invincible, but my wife wants to bubble wrap her. I'm going to tell you that right now. Well, I'm sure, and that's, you know, yeah, that would that would it would be hard not to want to do that. I think. Yes, but I think I'm going to win the internet when I announce my goat's name of by by holy. I'm going to tell you what it is, Laura. Okay, I'm I'm on. Is this the butt kid or the dope yeah, kid? It's a butt, it's a butt kid. Yeah. Okay. I've named this buck kid the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has came to bless us at the farm. Oh, that's funny. And that works That works well with your um, naming program. Yes, yes, it does there on that. And uh, yes, and then the dough that I'm going to keep is savor de moment. Savor de moment. I love it. Yes. Very so good. I, I, you know, it's all about the creative names, you know. I think when we, I, I think about, naming goats i always think about how they're going to be read at the national show does that sound weird laura oh no because i do the same thing because okay so i'm going to tell a story of my daughter elizabeth because she's not here you know (laughs) you know that i have a a doe in my herd her name is faith and actually her registered name is a little faith a little Mm -hmm. faith okay elizabeth (laughs) swears that if she has a doe kid we're gonna name it Ye, like ye of little faith. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, there is no way on God's green earth that I am naming a goat ye. I'm not doing it. And she's like, fine, I'll just call her that. So anyway, I, I just, it is for the same reason of what you just said. I cringe to think of some, you know, of course she's going to turn out because I want her to, right? Ha ha. But even, you know, at a national show for them to say, and the next in line is Maple Wind Ye of Little Faith. I just think it's a horrible name. So anyway, <laughs> yeah, uh, you you have to think about that. You have yeah. To think about it. Yeah. I, w- I want it to be a fun read name off, not like a, like a boring one, you know? I agree. I agree. So, uh, in addition to that, on our farm there, uh, we kitted out those goats, and we got six of them there on that. Um, we ha- set up tomorrow, we're actually going to have our VCPR appointment, so a veterinary client patient relationship uh, with a local vet clinic here on that. So, people ask me, Cameron, you live with a vet, why do you need a VCPR with a vet clinic? Well, the answer is, is uh, we are both very busy. Sometimes we have chore help that comes in. Sometimes my wife isn't here. And if we need an assistance on kidding or uh, somebody tears their eye or needs a leg set as well there or has the ability to hurt themselves in a manner that Cameron cannot fix them or chore help cannot fix them, we need to have somebody on call. Does that make sense, Laura? Oh, absolutely. And I think that is so, so, so important to have that. I mean, we've talked about it before, how important it is to have that veterinary veterinary client relationship. Um, and especially in this day and age of vets being overworked, 
um, stressed out, have too many clients. There aren't very many large animal vets around anyway. And, you know, you've got to have that relationship. It's it's an investment in the future. Yes. Yes. So we, we, we have that set up for tomorrow. We'll get some grain. We actually picked up some hay too, which I don't like buying hay, but uh, kind of a special situation happening here. So we needed some grass hay. Uh, that's going to be fed mostly to our bucks. Um, we picked up some new hay feeders for some goat shows that are coming down the pipeline here on that. And then the last thing that's happened to me is, Laura, I judged a goat show. Yes, I know you did. And I can't wait for you to tell our listeners about it. Oh, Laura. It's pretty buckle. freaking unique. Oh, Laura, buckle up. I'm going to sell you the whole seat, but you're only going to need the edge. Okay. So, had the opportunity to judge the Louisiana Ag Expo, which, tremendous show, tremendous youth there on that. Had a very good time there. They tell me that if you leave Louisiana hungry, then you didn't do it right. I did not leave it hungry, uh, so I'm thankful for good old Southern hospitality down there as well. But had a a couple unique things that happened, and I want to share them with the listeners. Number one, when you're judging goats in February, they look different, or they may look different there on that. Um, so it's, it's always interesting to see the different stages of the goat in terms of their ages and developments. Um, so that's, that's always interesting to see. Number two, shout out to those kids that did showmanship. Nine classes of showmanship, Laura. You're kidding. How, what, like, like just one or two years in each class or how'd they divide it up? Like every age group from not eight to eight to 17 or 17, 18 years old. Like that's, yeah. Nine, wow. Nine. That's awesome. Yes. And you'll appreciate this, Laura. The smallest class I had was six. The largest class I had was 18 and there was multiple age divisions with 18. That's amazing. Yes. But so, Karen, you are not mentioning one of the most unique things about this show that I th- that that hit me when you said you were judging this, and that's the fact that it was not an Adga show. Yeah, it wasn't an Adga sanctioned show. I didn't even think about that. I don't. Even, I honestly, I don't even think about that because um, it doesn't really bother me at all that you know I'm an, I'm, I'm licensed to judge goats, but it by Adga standards. But at the same time, you know it. You know, you don't always have to judge an Adga sanctioned show. Every year I tell myself that I'm going to take at least one 4-H show. And that's mostly to give back because yeah. I realize that the, that they need good judges on a, a 4-H level. Like that's really important to keep kids involved and engaged and youth there on that. But also uh, this is the equivalent of their state fair as well. So again, really having a positive experience with their GOAT project was really what I'm always aiming for as well there on that. Um, but back to the whole Adga thing, like I, I think that it doesn't really bother these kids that it's not an Adga sanctioned show. It doesn't really bother the parents in my mind too. That's really cool. I mean, to have that many animals, because I think a lot of times people feel like that you have to do that. And there's lots of reasons to have an Adga sanctioned show, but it's not always the best thing for the kids, you know? Yes, I agree on that there. And and there was some like weird considering factors too. And Laura, I haven't told you this there. Um, is that um the so for the Bucks, they actually don't um 
offer a class over the age of 14 months. So like all the bucks that are shown are under the age of 14 months. Oh, weird. Okay. Well, it's for the safety of the kid. Okay. That makes sense. Yes, but I will also tell you that I did see a Nubian buck attempt to breed a girl. Oh, not cool. No. No, just just wild there on that. So that it's just it was very interesting. And also, Laura, I guess I didn't tell you this. They have a commercial milker class. Commercial milkers. Non non-papered, non-blue papered um class. So it's not a recorded grade class. Nope. Nope. Wow. Not a That's interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was quite interesting there on that. And you know, the way I looked at it is you would evaluate them like you would any commercial animal. If you like that goat was going to be gone and put on the line the next day, dropped into the state of Wisconsin, put on a commercial uh, line there and be able to pick up and take off in terms of its commercial success as a dairy goat. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that's really cool. So, um, is, is this like a show that has a long history? I mean, I, I'm, I'm just finding this really unique, a unique setup. Have they done it this way for a long time? Um, so they actually used to be intermingled with the boar goats, but they've got so much involvement in it all right now. And there was probably over 400 dairy goats shown at this show, more than, more than boar goats and the mitonics and everything else there that was intermingled. They're on that, um, and they've just started to build a program there. And then they've also got a Louisiana-bred-owned uh, portion of the show, too. Very cool. Gosh, I'm glad you got to go down and do that. Me, too. Oh, there's something else, too. They actually have a goat educational trip that um, every breed had the opportunity to compete with, too. And then they got to go on this goat educational trip in July. Where does the trip take them? I am unsure of that. But um, I think it was in conjunction with the ABGA show. I don't know. I have, I have to double check. Cool. That's awesome. Oh. But I had a great time there. Going to caveat with that. There is something I need to tell the people about. Okay. And it is a problem this time of year when we have goat shows, especially in our goats that are our seasonal breeders here. What is – what I experienced there was goats that were going to be going into the uh, the active labor very quickly or were in active labor or had just kitted. Okay, time out. When you say active labor, like pushing while they're in the show ring active labor? Yeah. No way. <laughs> oh wow okay you're talking about a junior doe becoming a senior doe real quick yeah wow wow yes so we know that don't we, do that folks don't do that that's not that, something to aspire to i'm gonna tell you listeners the same thing i told everyone on that microphone i'm gonna tell you that that is unacceptable that is not only a reflection of the goat, that is a reflection of the youth, that is a reflection of the parent. And honestly, it looks terrible. It yeah. sickens me that people would bring animals into the ring like that. And I, I get it. I can't enforce any rules besides what the breed classes say in the paperwork. That's all I can go by there on that. 
But when you bring a junior doe into a goat show, that kids 20 minutes before, that's not okay. That does not set a good example for what the correct, proper procedure is for any type of livestock show. And then, when they, after I dismiss that animal, I tell that parent, I tell that kid, I ask them to leave. They start blood, coming out their garbly gook. What type of image does that leave on the general public that was there watching that goat show? Or was watching it on that live stream? Oh, not good. Not to mention the whole biosecurity part of it. I mean, there's just, I, I'm I'm really surprised that the state fair allowed that to happen. Yeah, let's not, we're not going to go there on that. Um, but, Laura, let's, this leads into a bigger question here. And I know we don't run into this in the Midwest. We can, but would you bring a goat to a goat show that could potentially kid there? No. Would you go to said goat show? Like if, no, uh-uh, no. I mean, and, and you know what? I know that it has happened and I know it's happened with people that I respect as breeders and so forth. I mean, maybe they just, maybe they didn't know a doe was bred or maybe they didn't have another thing. I just, I just feel like that. No, I wouldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. I, I understand. Like I, I get from the perspective that you go to a goat show and you would rather have the goat there in your midst than be at home with somebody that might not know how to help them if they have problems. Like I get that. I understand that perspective there on that. On the flip side, I do understand the other perspective of biosecurity. I, I understand that. There's no good answer in this year. But I'm telling you that in the show ring is not the place for those animals. No. And, you know, I think it probably is a little bit of a different, different um, situation. If I, if I did have a breed that bred year round, like boar goats or Nigerian dwarfs, I mean, I, you know, you have the potential of having kids all year round. I get that. I don't do that with my, I mean, my Alpines don't do that. So, um, you know, I can't say what's right for everybody else, but I guess what I can say is, I agree with you, Cameron. It's ne- it would never be right to take that animal into the show ring. Yeah, yeah. So again, just a conversation. Wow. That, it's just a conversation we needed to have. We needed to manifest it into the world here. Yeah. Whether you, whether you hate me for bringing it up or whether you 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 think it was the right thing to say, it doesn't matter. It's out in the world. You can go find it on the internet. Yep. For all of posterity. Yep, absolutely. And I stand by every word I said. Yeah. No, I I, I believe you there. Yes. I don't blame you at all. Thank you. So, hey, we have some cool ad good news. We do. National Show Judges dropped today. 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 Yep. How neat is that? I think it's very cool. I mean, it's a little later than we've had it in the years past, but still in plenty of time. So, okay. um Everybody can sit out and try to figure out. I don't know. <laughs> Laura, Laura, you did that. You had a piece of paper. You shared it with me. I did. I did. You were looking like a conspiracy theorist there with all uh, the lines connecting. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah, because that's the kind of person I am. No, I just like to sit and think, okay, well, now if this judge judged this year and that judge yep. judged that year, then, 
you know, who's probably going to be up for judging this year? It really, in the end, it really doesn't matter. They're all, it's, it's a slate of six uh, judges that will all do a phenomenal job. They're all very well, very experienced judges, judges that our membership wanted to see judging at the national show. And I'm excited to see it happen. Well, I will tell you what, I, I love democracy. I do. I love the ability that we as the membership get to choose those individuals that get to that get to pick the best goats in the world to some people. Yeah. Love that. So yes, that's that's my that's my whole two cents on that on there. So hey, awesome for those topics. Yeah. You realize that the national show is only hundred and forty three days away. Laura, don't tell me that. Okay, I've got a lot to do stuff. I've got to get a livestock trailer here. Okay, I've got to get a graphic put on that thing. I've got to make sure my truck can actually hook up to it. Okay, a lot of things. You'll get there. I know you. It's fine. But listeners, just you know, less than 150 days. So, so that means you can't breed your goats now. Yeah, because we don't want them getting in the show ring. (laughs) Hang right, girlfriend. Yeah, don't don't breed your goats if you're going to nationals because you know, yeah. Don't even get me started on that because my wife looked at me and she's like, "What's 150 days from tomorrow?" And I was like, "I know this goat's coming into heat because we just did IVF on her, but yeah, no, no, we don't want to do that. No, no, we don't. No, we don't. I don't want like a late dry yearling that like is like a month fresh when I want to show her, you know." Yeah, no, 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 no. That's that's not a cool thing. So no. I, don't, I think that's the only that's the only Adga news thing that we've got. Yeah, that's the only thing we really want. I really want to talk about with the whole Adga world on that. Um, let's get on to the main topic. Took us a while to get there, but we had a lot of things to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. This is kind of a laid back episode this time again. Don't have a guest this week, um, but those are fun too. So. Uh, We're going to talk about a kidding season potpourri, just kind of hitting some highlights of kidding season and things to think about. And some of those questions that make you scratch your head and think, hmm, I wonder, I wonder about this. So, yes. And a lot of this is mostly focused on the back end of kidding and not necessarily the act, more of the, the raising of it all. What do you do after you get them here? Right? Yeah. Yeah. Laura. So you, you, you put them in the playpen, then you take them outside. Well, we put them in the playpen until they're really taking the bottle well, because um, we bottle feed. So, um, And then once once they're like eating well, I feel pretty good about them. Or I get to the point where I'm like, okay, my house smells like a barn and it's time for these kids to go out, um, which usually tend to coincide at about the same time. They go out into a big pen that I have in my garage in the spring. So, um, yeah. And then it's, it's like the nursery room. So they have toys to play on and they're friends out there. So they go out and hang out in the garage. Gotcha. So you've got kids in your garage. They just kind of manifest that into the world. Yes, uh, yes I do. Um, Hey, and kids in my garage, no vehicles. So, okay, well, that makes sense. You know, Steven's not out there, Madeline's not out there. Right. Okay. Make it sure, though. Right. All right. So, you bring babies. You have a a place in your basement? Yes, I put kids in my basement. I have kids in my basement. I have a kid in my basement right now. I will say that. Okay. And how long do they stay in there? Till it smells. Yeah. (laughs) 
the no the nose knows, right? It's the nose knows. That's the thing too, is the nose always knows. Um so when it when it when it starts smelling, it's time for them to go outside. Right. Um as Ben What, honey? Or they jump out, my wife says. Oh, yeah. If they start jumping out, it's like, okay, you're out of here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like they were like doing this surfing thing the other day where we had had three totes just stacked right next to each other and they would just jump. They would just surf from box to box to box. Oh, that's fun. Oh, I'm thank goodness. It's like a a kid rave. There you go. (laughs) Thank goodness for leg bands. Otherwise, we would have have had no clue. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, hey, can I jump back to a personal jump Jump back into some farm news? Laura, yeah, definitely. We have broken the maple wind brown. Oh, no. I have two sun gow doe kids. Oh, no. It's been years since we've had a sun gow. Years. So it's kind of surprising. Yeah. So, and then we even got a, we got a kid that was born that's like, black with a white belt around her belly and one white leg and she's like all funkety looking so um yeah i i'm guessing that using two sun gal bucks this past year is gonna um kind of break that maple wind brown and i'm i'm kind of missing it a little bit though i did get a Coublanc doe so i just want to drop that out there but okay um are you keeping her well i don't know we'll have to see Okay. We'll talk about that a little later on. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't know yet. But I can understand your comment about thank goodness for leg bands because I looked at the picture of your kid pin and there's a whole lot of either Sungau or Toggenberg colored kids all together. Well, Laura, they're my black togs, okay? <laughs> I know better. <laughs> and but some of those sun guys have like little white splashes on them so um oh that's good okay yes yes on that there uh but back back to what i was getting at here um when so you got them there you got them drinking milk on the pan or on the uh, uh lamb bar or whatever you do on that but when do you introduce hay or grain i usually put it out within the first week okay they don't do much with it. I mean, they kind of, you know, they'll like walk over and kind of nibble at it and, and look at it, but it's just there. When, when do you do it? Like the same, like we did it like, I don't know, like a week after the goats were born. We're like, well, might as well. So they needed something to chew on or play with. And they're really interested in eating the straw more than they are the hay. Yeah. Um, but you know, that first, second group that came right out there, um, for hay purposes, they're, I mean, they're going to get exposed to it right away just because it's always just hanging out, literally just hanging out there. Yeah. And I don't, I mean, if you think about it, if they were with their moms full time, they would be exposed to that too. And they would see mom eating it and they'd think, oh, I want to try that too. I mean, they, you know, so I, I don't think that there's an, I don't think you can offer it too early. Yeah, I agree on that. Well, what about grain? I know that gets a little dicier. Um. Well, we feed a, a kid grower that has um, a medication in it to, to uh, combat coccidia. Gotcha. So we we try to get them on that as quick as they can, as quick as we can get them on there. So about at the same time, I have little kid grower pellet. It's a mini pellet is what we feed. It's like oh. really tiny. They They mess with it. They don't eat it too much. But then all of a sudden you realize, oh, they're excited to see their grain and their little munchy mouths are going to town on it. And 
and it's pretty good. So usually the first couple of weeks I put it out there. Gotcha. What do yeah. you guys do? Uh, the same thing. We actually started experimenting with it earlier. So like within the first week, um, not really any interest. And we do, I call it the teal bag program. Um, but it's really just whatever Vita plus makes and has floor stock at our feed store. Um, but it's got milk replacer in there too. And, and they really like that taste as well. And our milkers love the taste as well. <laughs> so this feed has milk replacer in the pellet. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Yes. Yes. It's a commercial formula. I mean, it's designed for commercial uh, uh, people that, you know, run commercial dairies there um, on that to get their kids started. And we will feed it. Um, I mean, probably well, this year we fed it all the way till December. Interesting. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. I, it, it's, it's different though. Cause it is that mini pellet. Like we, like you talked about there. Um, and they seem to eat it pretty well and they don't have a problem with it, but they're just kind of messing with it right now when we do put it out, but we don't put it out every day right now. Um, probably as we get moved towards them transitioning into a different pen, we'll probably put it out more, um, consistently on that. Do you just free choice it then? Yeah, we we just, we actually throw it in the same pan that, that we feed milk in. Oh, so they are like, oh, it's the food pan. This yes. time it has little pellet things in it. Okay. Yes. That's I will, good. I will tell you that all of our goats are very driven towards a gray pan. Like if they see a gray pan, they know food is coming. Good. Yes. It's, it's that in a white bucket, gray pans, white buckets. They know that it's, it's food time when those buckets come. Well, that works. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think it's interesting because – you know, I've seen people like experiment with it early, experiment with it late, depending on when they give like a CD&T or something like that. Or I guess, have you ever thought about that, Laura? Well, I haven't. Uh, maybe I should, you know, because I'm kind of like paranoid about intertrophemia. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, they just don't eat that much. I mean, they just don't have that much. And then they all get their first CD&T shot at about a week of age anyway. So... Gotcha. Uh, you yeah, know, you're going early with a CD&T. Well, I do it when I just bud them. Okay. So, um, yeah. Gotcha there. So let's stay on this kind of CD&T train here on that because I we don't give a CD&T till actually around the tattooing time as compared to, um, you know, a, a week old there. Um, maybe that's a better idea. I mean, what can I ask? Why is it just because of the tetanus part of the the tattoo? Yeah. So from what I understand, and again, this is my wife's theory. So maybe if I chime up, she'll tell me I'm wrong here on this. But we actually give a CD and T when we do our shots, like you talked about that, like we talked about with Jason there on that. And the idea is is that the CD and T can cross that placenta barrier again. Make sure that I'm not. Hopefully, I'm not saying anything wrong. Um, as again, my wife will tell me, but the theory is that it crosses that there. So they get some of that immunity or some of that protection there from the enrotoxemia, the tetanus there from the mom. Right. They get the passive immunity yeah. from their mothers. And then hopefully that helps pulls them through until you can give them their own vaccine. Then, And, I, and I, we do that too. So um, Yeah. I think it just delays the stress because in my mind, this budding is such a stressful thing. 
It is. And I, you know, I've, I've had some interesting conversations with different people about it. And there's so, there are so many different ways that people do disbudding. You know, some people will use lidocaine. Some people will uh, put their goats totally under like vet friends of mine will just put them totally under and do tattoos and disbudding and do all of it at the same time, microchipping if they, if they're going to do that. Um, some people use um, propane uh, heated disbudding yes. irons. Some people use the disbudding paste, which I think is just a horrible idea, but um, you know, there's lots of different ways to get it done. So I don't know that there's like necessarily a right way or a wrong way, but one thing that I have noticed is the kids tend to recover pretty darn quickly from disbudding. And I hate to disbud. That's probably my least favorite goat veterinary type chore to do, Uh but we disbud them and then give them a little bit of warm milk afterwards. And they seem to be just fine. And they're jumping around and acting like nothing happened, you know, in 15 minutes anyway. So you know, I want to circle back around because you talked about just there's a lot of ways to do things as well. And a couple of years ago, Iowa State did a research study. And the only reason why I know anything about this research study is my wife was actually at vet school and was part of the team that implemented the research study with Dr. Paul Plummer um, and actually did it on at front of the program house, Craig Copeman's house. Um, so I, I, I kind of know a little bit about kind of what happened there on that. And they were using lidocaine as kind of that blocker as well there. And what they found, and this is in the paper, is that the lidocaine was actually more stressful than the active disbudding as a whole. Dr. Plummer told me about that this yes. summer. Yes. And I just thought, well, good, that that kind of um, gives some street credibility to, or some medical credibility to what I found out on the street, which is, yes. <laughs> um, you know, it seems to be more painful and more stressful doing something that you think is going to make it easier. So, well, and even in the act of sedation, I think that's a stressful process too. There, you're again creating more cortisol there and taking them to an unfamiliar place away from their friends, and you know, and and I think about just the timeliness of it too as an individual. You know, you have to if you work a full time job, you have to take off time to go to the veterinarian in order to get all of those disputed. Right. Can I just say how thankful, how thankful our goat community is for um, amazing people like Dr. Plummer. I mean, real world studies on stuff that matters to dairy goat people. And I just appreciate that so much. Oh yeah. P squared is the guy, Dr. P squared. (laughs) And he's really nice too. Yes. 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 P squared is very nice. Dr. Paul Plummer. I got to stop calling him P squared. He is a doctor and he's got a lot more degrees than I will ever imagine having. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but, so humble. but so humble and so talk. I mean, so easy to talk to. So. Oh, abs- absolutely. What a guy there on that. But I guess the question becomes is, is when do you burn? Like, do you have a set time? Do you have like a, this has got to be burned at, you know, 30, 72 hours or X, Y, Z there. I really try to do it. And when they hit the week, at, at their weak age. Um, now also understanding that I have the most time on the weekends. Mm-hmm. So um, it's usually the weekend that's closest to the time that they're a week old. <laughs> Just bought them if that makes any sense. So oh. um, sometimes it gets closer to two weeks if they just, you know, are really tiny and don't really have 
um, horn buds that I can feel, but I would much rather do it sooner rather than too late. And so um, that's, that's when we do it here. And if at all possible, I try to tattoo at the same time. Oh, Laura, that just sounds ambitious. Well, I don't, I just like to get it all done. So. Goodness gracious. I wish I had as much energy as you. Well, I don't like to catch them and stuff them in the box again to tattoo them a second time. Oh, you use the box to tattoo? I do. Oh, girl. How do you do it? Oh, I just put them between the legs. Oh. (laughs) I will tell you that it was like, it used to be like, like I would come back from college for Easter. And on that Saturday before Easter, we would just tattoo everybody in the barn. Me and my dad would. And then back like a couple of years before, my grandfather would be out there helping us. And it was just like a big day. And we just made it a big day where we just tattooed everybody. We castrated everybody if they needed a band around them there. Um, if we had to do anything else in the barn, we did it that day. Yuck. Yeah, it was. I mean, eh, it's okay. It was like Christmas. You know, there was a little blood, a little ink, just green and red everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you just leave, you leave like ID bands on them then until you can get them tattooed. Yeah. So we'll, yeah. And those, we have adjustable leg bands there that they can change and, and, and move with the goat as well. Um, so that, that really helps. And they don't like, they can't tear them off. No, no, they can't. Okay. Well, we use those, those plasticky paper tab, bands that go around their little necks and I write who they are on them and knock on wood. We've had really great luck with those. They don't, they don't come off. Um, and in fact, there've been some years where we're like, Oh, I got to cut that off. It's getting too tight on their little neck, you know, just because they haven't come off and you know, they're tattooed by that time. We just didn't take the collar off. So, um, but you know, we, we definitely have learned you've got to keep, got to keep track of who they are. So, well, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you this, Laura, I'm going to ask you this. So when you were dam raising a lot, did you still do a permanent identification of them? Yes. Okay. That's because good. I never trusted that they wouldn't steal somebody else's kid. Ah, gotcha. Now at that time we, you know, we were only freshening maybe like four does. So it's not like it was that hard to keep track of them, but I always put something on them so that I knew who they were. Um, yeah. Because gotcha. again, you, you just never know. <laughs> now, I want to go back to this budding here. Do you double burn the bucks? Do you double burn any does? Like, like when's the? I have done a figure eight on bucks before. I don't like to do it. I don't do it on does. Um, most of the time, the reason why I don't do a figure eight is because I have daughters saying, "Mom, don't do it." It hurts them. Don't do it again. <laughs> I'd probably do it more <laughs> if it was just me. But um, yeah, that's do. You, how do you guys do it? So we'll do the figure eight. My wife, my wife, this butt makes me do. Or my wife, this butt, them all. I will tell you that right now. She, I told my wife I needed to learn because I set myself up for this year of wanted to learn more about the stuff that she does. That way, if she ever gets hit by a bus or, you know, a a rogue goat decides to take her out one day while she's performing a procedure, like I could at least do something on the farm. Right. Um, Veterinary medicine wise, uh, I could do a lot on the farm, but veterinary medicine is not my 
Forte. Let's just go there. Um, but um, she does the double burn on the Bucks and then a single burn on the Does. But I will tell you, at a week old, some of those hornbuds get really aggressive. Yes, they do. And alpines are bad. I don't know if togs are as bad as alpines. But oh, I think togs are worse. Are they? Yeek. Maybe we're just working with fast-growing horn lines. Well, I yeah, they're... Well, they're Swiss breeds. You know, they're in the mountains. they got to defend themselves. That's right. That's right. Um, and, and I will say that if I am closer to two weeks on a buck kid, it definitely needs to have that second burn because you can see where those horn buds are not round anymore. They're like tear shaped or whatever. And you've got to do some extra work to make sure you get all of it done. So, Oh yeah, absolutely. Now do you shave the heads or not? Always shave the heads. And, and I'll tell you why. Well, it's twofold one. So I can see the horn bud better. But the second reason is I hate the smell of burnt hair. So if you shave them, it doesn't smoke as bad. That's that's exactly the same reason why we do it. And I will tell you what, my dad doesn't shave the heads. And he's like, I don't think it makes a difference. I said, you smell a lot less singed hair. Yeah, I, I think so. I think it does make a difference. Yeah. You, yeah, those uh, singed hair does not smell so going back to uh, – we talked a little bit about CD&T, but I want to talk about kind of your vaccine protocol and kind of what's on the top of mind there for you as you think about what you're going to be doing with your kids this year, Laura. Are you going to do something for upper respiratory? Are you thinking something uh, like a supplementation or something? Like what are your thoughts on this? Well, I've, I've used Enforce 3 before, which is a pneumonia vaccine that you like squirt up their noses. And that seems to work okay. Um, but then I didn't do it one year and it seemed to be okay too. So I, but I probably will do it, especially since, you know, I've got some older kids. I plan to take them maybe to a few more earlier shows this year. So uh, we usually do that one. Um, but that's, that's about it. Um, other than we give CD and T three times okay. with the kids. So what, what, do you follow? So we will do a CD&T um, at, at tattoo time uh, on that, and then we won't give them another CD&T till the fall. That's just kind of when we do all of our next round of CD&Ts there on that. And then what we will do as well is oftentimes we will do one of those, like a nasal chin or a once PMH, something for a potential upper respiratory there on that. But we like it at two different – I'll call modes of action or two different um, types of um, virus, two types of viruses or two types of kind of the different um, potential problems as I'll call them out there on that. So um, my wife again is in charge of that and I try to stay out of, I try to stay out of that realm on that there. But again, we do give something for upper respiratory, especially this year with going to nationals. I feel like this year, because we're in Louisville, because it's climate controlled, you know, we could see a little bit more, um, potential for something upper respiratory. You know, I just want to say something on that topic. When you hear people talk about showing at Louisville, a lot of times you'll hear people complain about the poor air quality and sick animals and things like that. And I feel like the first year I showed there was 2010 and it definitely was an issue that year. I feel like it was better in 2014. Um, and, and I didn't really, think there was a whole lot of a problem with it back in 2021. 
So either they've got things figured out or I'm not sure what the difference is, but I do agree when you know you're going to be showing in a climate controlled area, you probably want to consider something like that. Yeah, I, I think it's better to be safe than sorry there on that, especially if you're going to a lot of shows as well. Yeah, definitely. You know, and, and it's something to consider for the trailer ride. You know, if you don't have great ventilation in your trailer ride as well, you might want to consider that, especially if you are traveling a long distance. Yes, for sure. Do you start mineral supplements for your kids at an early age? No, I mean, we might do, uh, you know, occasional loose mineral there on that. We're on a, right now we're on DuraFirm. It's kind of whatever. My, my wife and I have been through a couple of things right now, and it kind of just depends what we can get our hands on as well there. We went through the blueprint. I like the blueprint there on that. It makes their mouths turn blue, um, and they kind of changed their formula. We weren't crazy about that. Now we went to DuraFirm, which that's good too. We don't really have a problem with that as well. The DuraFirm's fine. Um, and then we our milkers get uh, sodium bicarb, but we don't put out actually sodium bicarb for our kids um, because they don't get as much grain as those girls do. So do you feed, so you, you feed bicarb year round to your milking does? Cause yep. there's been kind of a debate about that on, on the old Facebook lately. Some people saying it's a terrible thing to feed to your goats. Other people saying I always feed it to my goats. Yeah. Well, I was having a conversation with well, my wife, and well, kind of me because I can see the email emails too. I can see the email chain, and we can kind of talk about it. Um, wow, it sounds weird having a joint email account. I sound like an old person, uh, um, but it's but it's for the farm. Um, so we were kind of talking with the nutritionist, nutritionist, kind of back and forth via email, and he's like, "Yeah, we really recommend you know having some type of form of, of bicarb and then salt out as well there on that, and then." There's a, there's a breeder in California that uses a lot of salt, actually, which really, you know, is a good idea if you want to increase water consumption there in your goats. I can see that, yes. Yes, but I, I mean, I don't know if we put salt out for kids. Like a salt in a lick block or a loose salt? Uh, it could be either or. Okay. She, I know this breeder famously like top dresses salt. So, or so like I think she puts it at the bottom actually. Interesting. Yeah. Nice. So I guess something to lick up at the end. Yeah. Like <laughs> lick your bowl clean. Sure. Okay. That makes yes. sense. Abs- absolutely there on that. But we don't we will applaud we will have loose mineral out here probably when we bring them all into a group housing because we and we might this might be a perfect transition to talk about that. But um you know, when we go to, we'll collapse all the pens because we'll do three different pens and then we'll just collapse them all into one about June and kind of just make them all run together type thing. Um, but when we do that, we'll, we'll introduce mineral as well. Um, do you use selenium or BOCI? Do you give BOCI shots to your animals? No, it's kind of on a need basis there. Um, kind of doing that is uh, we don't live in a selenium, selenium deficient area. Actually, I just had this conversation with my wife. Um, but we don't live in a selenium deficient area, so it's a lot in our forage there on that. So I, we don't want to tape, we don't want to go too aggressive on selenium. So we'll give both the only one we have to. We don't live in a selenium deficient area either. So, and that, that's very different from when I grew up in Indiana because you know, it was. So, um, I haven't given selenium for many years, but I do have a bottle on hand in case, you know, it needs to be used, I guess. So. Yeah, I think the BOCI is the most readily available form there for the goat. Um, if you right. need a fast action, 
Um, but they're a selenium box, and we have given them actually to our bucks as well, like a selenium salt block. Oh, interesting. Okay. I didn't yeah, know you can buy those. Yeah, you can buy it like your local farm store. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, kind of piggybacking off that, I guess, like, Laura, do you, when, okay, the first question is, is like, do you ever like separate into group areas to like help manage them better, or do you just let them all run in the, in the, in the barn? Um, I have done both and a lot of it depends on how much of an age gap I have in kids. You know, if I have like a very definite older group and then a younger group, I will definitely separate them, especially if there's some bullying going on because, you know, Alpines Um, (laughs) love them. But that's always something that you kind of have to keep an eye on. Sometimes they get a little bit assertive. Um, But I don't always do it. It just really kind of depends on year to year. So uh, what do you got? Do you separate them out by age groups? Yeah, so we will uh, move to, I guess we'll move to two-ish pens here. Um, Within our system, we'll move to two pens. Sometimes we'll have three. It just kind of depends on what the groupage are and how many are in kind of each group there on that. Um, But really the big thing that we like to separate out for as we get into um, later in the kid raising season is we might start tapering down some of the milk. So with that, I mean mixing it with water there on that. It's kind of like proofing alcohol. I've been watching a lot of moonshiners, actually. So very similar process to that, just diluting it with water there. So if we're going to start doing that, then when we do that, that's really when it's important when we have different groups there. Makes sense to me. Sure. Yeah. So we'll do that as well, and then we will we will segregate or – um, just move into different houses there on that. And what we'll do is we'll actually bring our bigger kids. We'll start with our bigger kids and we'll put them towards the back, which is closer to the door. So if they want to go outside, they could have the opportunity to go outside on that there. But also we don't have to worry about them as getting as cold as our younger kids are. Yes. I, I think that's always important. And I think also too, Watching, just watching your kids, because we all know that, that especially if you have quite a few of them, there comes a time where they might get bullied or don't have the option to eat or, you know, the more assertive animals push them out of the way. And then all of a sudden you look in there and you're like, man, you really haven't grown for a long time. That's part of the reason why I, I really try to be religious about way taping the kids just so I can kind of see what their growth curve is. Um, I'm not as good about it as I'd like to be, but I'm better about it each year. If that's making any sense. That's, that's interesting, Laura. You, uh, you, uh, you know, in nature, this is going to sound a little crazy, a little conspiracy theorist, and I don't really care, but like there's this theory called the competitive exclusion factor, which I am a firm believer of. And like, you have to learn to be aggressive. Otherwise you will die. That makes sense. Oh, I I agree with that. And honestly, that's something that we've started selecting kids for a little bit more than what we used to. If you're a a wussy kid who's not going to be good on the land bar and then you're not going to eat hay and you're going to be kicked out of the feed bunk because the other goats are mean to you or whatever, you're probably not going to stay here. Because if if you're not assertive in eating and getting what you need, you're probably not going to grow very well. So... Yeah. Yeah. 
I yeah, I don't mind the bullying as much. Like the bull, not really the bullying. Like my biggest, <laughs> you're gonna laugh at this, Laura. But like my biggest bully in the pen right now is Cabo. That doesn't <laughs> surprise me. To quote what one of my daughters would say is, "You created that monster." So she, she's beautiful. She is beautiful, but you know, she's a brat. So it's okay. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but she's like the biggest bully in the pen right there. But I mean, I think it's important to just, you know, if you're selecting for aggressiveness, I think that's, that's an important trait to look at if you really want to grow good kids, you know? Yeah. I would agree with that. Yes. So I think piddled around with a mature dough that, you know, you've got to entice her to eat and nobody really has time for that. That's just a pain in the butt. You're exactly right there. Now, if I could just select for goats that wouldn't sort through their feed, that would be great. Oh, you mean that great skill where they can very quickly dump all the pellets out of one side of their mouth and get all the corn in the other side? Well, they're just like picking now. They're like just picking yes. out the corn, 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 corn. Hate um, that. So it's that. almost like I need to go to a straight diet of cracked corn. And with the price of corn coming down, I mean, it's positive. True. That's true. Yes. Um, but I, I think it's – do you ever take – when do you move the bucks out though? When they start acting like little bucks. Interesting. Do you ever like – have you ever made like a separate buck pen and like – I don't know. Like I feel yeah. like some of these bucks start early. They do. And Cameron, I don't keep bucks around that long. I just mm, – I, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, I gotcha. I, I mean, but remember, I'm not very good about keeping my own bucks either. You're you're true. You're very true. But but maybe you get in. Uh, I don't know. Like we're just gonna we're just gonna be random here on that. When you go pick up a new herd sire, and when you picked up your Pleasant Grove buck, for example, like when did you like separate him from the does? Oh yeah, when he starts when he starts being a bad boy. Oh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. And then where does he go from there? I'm kind of curious. By himself or with a, a weather or another young buck. Um, and I've learned the hard way. It really is hard to put a young buck in with an older buck. They just get, they just get run to death. <laughs> it's just not good for him. So. See, and I will, I will tell you that I, I kind of have mixed feelings about that. Um, because at some point they have to learn to live together. Um, but I will tell you that like from my perspective, like when, when I was at my dad's house, we always built a pen right next to the the mature bucks so they could see each other. They could look at each other. They kind of knew they were there, but they didn't really compete or anything. That made sense. That's a good then, idea. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 And then like December time, but then we're like, well, they can probably go together there or, like the fence fell down or something like, you know, you know how that goes. I do. Yes. No, that's a good idea. And I think I'll try that this year. Yeah. So they just kind of live together there, but I will tell you that we will actually assimilate them right back in. Like we have taken the baby buck and throw them in with our mature bucks. So we don't have a great way to separate them right now. I don't No, We don't either. No, and that's just, uh, I mean, I mean, we'll throw them in. I think we threw the one in there. He was a March buck. He probably went in there about June, and the other one went in there in August. But he was a May buck, so 
Yeah, he didn't. Yeah, he didn't figure out how to you do his thing for a while. So, <laughs> yeah, that's. I mean, but you have to watch it. And it, I think that's another one of those uh, breed breed things too, because I know that our uh, Nigerian friends, those little those little guys, man, they get down to business pretty early. I mean, they're pretty assertive breeders. So they, they get down the business to defeat the Huns real easily. Yes, very much so. Thank you. I'm going to be singing that song the rest of the night. Thanks, Cameron. <laughs> hey, that's, that's no problem at all in there. Um, so, Do you microchip? No, we don't. And, you know, it's an interesting conversation that uh, my wife and I were having the other day about microchipping because uh, we're getting a new buck and he's actually microchipped and um, was looking at, you know, the CVI and all the stuff there on that and had the microchip number and everything and my wife made the comment, well, that's interesting that, you know, XYZ person microchips and um, and she was like, well, maybe we need to start thinking about that. And, and it's not necessarily because we want it to be easier um, at shows. Like that's the last kind of our concern because our tattoos are pretty good. Our biggest concern is at what point is the USDA going to start mandating the microchip? Right. And it's not for animal identification more as it's more for how can we trace if something were to ever happen with wooden mouth disease. And I will say this. I don't know if you had the opportunity to check a CVI with goats at the national show for the vet check. That's pretty stinking slick. It It is. It is. Yes, I will agree with you. It is very easy, assuming you can find the microchip and the goat actually has it in her. <laughs> Oh, yes. Um, um, again, I've got different theories of, you know, microchips move or where did you put it? And what's the placement of it type thing there on that? And people can tell me, oh, they don't move or, oh, they move, they've moved, you know, 37 inches or something like that. And, you know, I've kind of heard it all as a judge perspective there on that. But I will tell you when the US, if the USDA, and I don't think it's an if, I think it's a win, the USDA, again, this is Cameron conspiracy theory hour looking into my crystal ball. You know, at some point, and to get around a scrapies tag, we're going to need to RFID everything. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Um, I want to pull the trigger, to be honest with you, to go ahead and just yeah. microchip. I just, I, it's just a big investment. How much is it? Well, I think you can, you can get twenty five for like, I forget what it was, a hundred and some dollars for 25 tags and then you have to buy the reader. So the reader is a one-time purchase and really, uh -huh. I guess in the scheme of things, it's not that bad. Um, I just need the, to bite the bullet and do it. But frankly, this year, my bigger investment is going to be to try to finish DNA testing the whole herd. So. Um, oh, Laura. Yep. That's yeah. yeah. Pay the $30 per test there. Yep. Well, I, and I'm going to throw this out here. I'm not saying that this is what everybody should do, but the girls and I kind of talked and, and we decided that if we're selling a buck, we're going to go ahead and pull the hair here before we sell it and, and uh, get the DNA done ourselves. So, so we started, yeah, we started that. My dad started that two years ago. Um, after a couple of DNA exclusions that he had had, and then we were able to work through most of them. Um, but um, then uh, uh, we started it last year for us. Now, 
Um, every buck that you buy from myself or my dad will be, or my wife will be DNA. Um, will come with a DNA, um, and then be sire verified for the most part there. Um, I don't know if I want to pull the trigger on my does though. I don't really know if I care that much. I have a bunch of them already done. So it's not, you know, I have a small enough herd that it's not that big of a deal. Would it make the difference to me to buy an animal from somebody if they said it was or wasn't DNA? No, it wouldn't. I think it's the reason why we're going to do the bucks is twofold. One is some people just aren't comfortable doing it. They, you know, they're, they're nervous about it. They don't know how to do it. It needs to be done anyway. But the main reason is I don't want there to ever be a question in my mind that the wrong hair was pulled. I would be heartbroken if an exclusion happened. I mean, I know that that's why we're doing this because, you know, we, we want to ensure the integrity of the herd book. And, and I just feel like that for me, I want to go ahead and do that for the bucks that I'm selling. I'm not saying everybody has to do that. I'm just saying it's something to consider. I don't, I don't mind. Yeah. I don't mind that too. But I think on the doe side, that just isn't worth the squeeze for me in terms of, of, you know, a, $30. $30. Well, if I milk 15 goats, a year, you know what I'm saying? They're like the first year. I mean, I'm going to spend, you know, over $500 DNA the whole herd type thing. But I, I mean, that's an upfront cost. I get that. I understand that. But, you know, I calculated how much money I spent with Adga last year when I did my taxes. And that was over, you know, a lot of money, to be honest with you. Most of it was, you know, DNA, but or not, most of it was actually the appraisal cost. But yeah. Right. So I, you know, I, I think that that's just something you have to think about. I don't think it's something you have to do, but, but I am planning to pull hair on every single kid that I have born this year. And I haven't done that in the past. I'm just going to pull it. it. I'm going to put it in an envelope labeled with their tattoo and who they are and just keep it because you never know down the road when that might be important. So Laura, when your file cabinet gets full, what are you going to do? I'm curious. Well, I haven't gotten that far. <laughs> you know, it's you're, it's you're kind of a question that I don't know, Cameron. It's kind <laughs> of like it's going to sound strange and it's going to sound weird, but uh, when I was younger, I found a file cabinet in of my parents, and it was the dead goat file cabinet. And one day, I just went through it all because I was bored and I was a strange child. But <laughs> and it, it got full really. I mean, not really quickly, but I mean, you breed goats for, you know, over 30 years. It, there's a there's a stack of them in there. So it was all papers of goats that had died. Yeah. And you know what was yeah. the most fascinating thing on those papers? Wasn't the goat, wasn't the pedigree. It was who was the president or the director of ADGA at the time. Oh, that's fun. Yes. That was, that was super fun. Or could I find the lowest, um, the lowest uh, ADGA ID number? Yeah. No, that's that's cool. That's very cool. Yes, yes. So I think that's I think yes, but but nonetheless, when your file cabinet gets full, I guess what do you do? And then your trash person sees you know, all of this goat hair in the trash. I don't I don't want to think about what those <laughs> trash people see. Uh, oh, that's funny. No, I don't know. Uh, but that's just I just think it makes some sense maybe to do that. And um, so you know, as we kind of look towards kind of look towards wrapping up this episode, I think a good question to end on is talking about selling animals. Yeah. What age, what age Cameron, do you usually wait to sell animals at? 
and, wow, and that's what's a, your justification on that? It's a loaded question. It is. The number one I'm thinking about is what the heck else do I have going on? If that makes sense. Um, as weird as it sounds, like if I've got a lot of goats, like I may be like, please come pick up your goat as soon as possible. Like I know it was born yesterday, but I just want it gone. Like that, that's the human nature of it all. Like I can't tell you that there's a mathematical formula of we wait at least 15 days to evaluate them. And then we, then we sell them on that or, or X, Y, Z there on that. But it's easier to say I'm going to have goats for sale in March than it is to say that I have goats for sale in February, if that makes sense. Yes, very much so. Yes. Um, I will tell you that this year, because uh, I didn't talk about this when I talked about farm news, so I'm going to go back to that. So we're having our first online sale, and it seems like the appropriate announcement to kind of announce that to the world, in the podcast world at least, that you know we're having an online sale. Um, so we have to decide those not before well before the online sale but we have to decide those you know kind of in the back of our minds like who would we put a kid in from type thing there on that if they were born so we've kind of got that in the back of our minds already there on that but i will tell you if one of those kids or if there's twins tw- two does in a in a kidding there on that there's a strong possibility they may end up one of them might be ending up in the online sale that's cool i can't wait to hear how that works out for you I can't wait either. I've got a sick dry yearling to put in there. I can't wait until the people see it. But that's that's neither here nor there. That's self-promotion, not the podcast world. But talking about that here, um, I guess when when do you say you can see the goats unfold? I really feel like two weeks. I I, I really feel like you get the best look at them at two weeks. Gotcha. Sometimes you can see them a little bit before that, but especially when you've had like triplets or quads, their legs are funky. Sometimes they've been all wadded up in there and it, sometimes it seems like it takes that long for them to unfold. Mm -hmm. I would agree. And then I, so I, I guess somebody agrees to purchase the goat. I guess when do you have like a set deadline of when you want them to pick it up? I mean, like, is there like a mathematical formula or, there isn't, but I really, really appreciate when people can get them as soon as possible. I don't want to keep them till weaning age. Gotcha. Gotcha. What do you guys do? So we have, um, well, we actually have a deal with a 4-H'er in Illinois that we will actually keep them until weaning age. And we know that and they're weathers. So, um, and, and we're still feeding kids. So, I mean, we never stop feeding them, so it doesn't really bother us. We just want them gone sooner rather than later on that. Um, and we've kind of got a deal made up with them and it's been a whole thing for years on my wife, on my wife's side. So we just continue to follow that. And I'll tell you what, four weathers being sold for 150 bucks each, that's 600 bucks right there. Well, I went at the auction, I probably would have got thirty dollars a piece for them so i mean that's more money than what i would make and i'm just feeding four extra kids a little longer if i'm still feeding everybody else well i I can justify that oh gosh Um, yes that rocks yes but i went i made up a new sales policy this year because i'm sick and tired of tired chickers and people not picking up their goats or people having excuses on that um you know uh, 30 days you got 30 days to pick up your goat from my house after we agree upon them and then after that, I start charging a boarding fee starting at day 31. I think that makes sense. Yep. 
Absolutely. And um, I've got a deal where if I'm working with Grand Transport, if i got to meet a transport anywhere else, not within a 10-mile radius of my house, um, I'm going to be charging 58 cents a mile to the buyer. Yeah, that's – Ground Transport I, is great, and sometimes it is just – you almost need a second job to be able to finagle out when you've got to meet them or when they're coming. And, Oh, there's just, I'm very, I'm very flexible. I'm very thankful that I have a flexible job. I will tell you that right now, but at the same time, my sanity is worth more than making is worth more than 58 cents a mile in my mind as well, but it does compensate for some of that. Right. So it makes um, sense to me. What about milking does? I know we're talking about kids, but if you're selling a milking dough, how long are you willing to hang on to that? Oh, goodness gracious. I will I will adhere to the same sales policy that I have, but good golly, if you do not pick it up sooner rather than later, I'm going to want to punch you for lack of better terms. Um, <laughs> like, I, you know, I, I sell a milker for a reason because I don't want a milker because I don't want to milk more than 15, like... That's my deal with my wife. Like I, I, I will milk 15 goats throughout the summer. Like if you buy a milker from me, please note that I want that gone as soon as possible. Right. So I, you know, I, I don't mind milking another goat. I don't mind feeding another goat, but a milker is a lot more work than a kid. Agreed. Yeah. So that's that there on that. So, uh, Laura, anything else on the potpourri that you have? Thoughts, musings, questions, comments, concerns? I, I think we've done really good on this. I uh, I would love to maybe explore one more question on a future podcast talking about um, yeah. does the little guy get to keep his jewels or not and thought processes oh, behind goodness. that. But I yeah, think that is a that longer later. episode than we can fit in today. Absolutely. And I've been seeing a lot of people on the Facebook that have been posting animals with their jewels, wanting to sell them with their jewels, that have no business doing that. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. <laughs> oh. But nonetheless, we'll get on that a different time. Cameron is feeling sassy for our question and answer. Oh, we've got a question and answer. Let's go. Yes, we're gonna. It's gonna be long, but that's okay. Um, I'll, just a reminder to the listeners: you guys wanted this. You guys told us you wanted the question and answer, so that means y'all have to submit questions to question and answer. Important. Fill out that form. It's on Facebook, or send me a message. Send maybe Laura has a question and answer too. You guys said you wanted it, so make sure you'll get us your questions. All right, Laura. All right, and, let's do it. And. And Elizabeth, your question will not be answered today. Elizabeth Warren. Um, Yes. Annabelle asked us this question, and I think it's appropriate as well there. How do you get your kids so huge? Compared to other goats, your goats grow really well. What do you do? I don't know that mine are huge, Cameron. Uh, Mine are big. I will tell you that. Um, I think the secret stuff is we don't ever stop feeding milk because we're not a commercial dairy. We don't really do a lot with the homestead like – that's just what we do. I think that's part of our secret formula is we have a much longer weaning period or a much longer on milk period there on that. And then I think a lot of it as well is due to the management up front. You know, I think a think about making sure that you're free. And we didn't even talk about this, but like cacosidiosis, like making sure that your animals are very, very well kept. You know, you're monitoring for upper respiratory. You're like basically managing those goats to a T. Like I think kid management – 
has to be so much more intense than than milker management is. And I feel like you have to have so much more purpose with everything you do with kids as compared to the daily grind of uh, milker management. Does that make sense, Laura? Oh, gosh, I could totally just uh, ditto what you said. And and I think back to, um, so this is year 16 for, for me with Alpines, like, you know, year 16. And I think back to before, I really didn't put much work into the kids at all. And, and I can look back on that and see that now, you know, um, staying on top of everything with them. And, and I know, I know I already mentioned about way taping, but I've been able to look back over several years and I can see that my kids are bigger now than the, what they were eight years ago at the same age. And I definitely th- feel like that that's due to um, management genetics. Some, yes, I haven't specifically bred for bigger animals, but maybe that's happened, but uh, staying on top of keeping the kids out of mud in areas that have had lots of animals in before where I can't clean it well. So for me, that's why we moved to the garage. The kids have grown so much better since we've had them in the garage than what they were when we had them outside. Um, I just can't hardly attribute that to anything else. Um, Staying on top of coccidia, you know, not waiting until I see a kid that's kind of unthrifty and has a little bit of scours, a little bit of cough and that pot belly look. I'm like, Oh, maybe I need to do something about coccidia staying on top of it from the get go. Um, I feel like makes a huge difference. And then not overcrowding kids, selling them, (laughs) selling them earlier, getting them down to the keeper number that I want. I think that makes a big difference too. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And just making sure you have the right density of kids there is super important. And then I think just staying on top of things, coccidiosis, monitoring growth is also really important there. And, and Lauren hit the nail on the head with that. But again, I think a lot of it is just making sure you have the most optimal uh, growing area, for lack of a better terms. Um, I like to think of it as cleaning pens. I know cleaning cleaning the kid area is, sucks. I know it does, but to me, I think it is so important to strip that out a couple of weeks. I talked, I talked to the president today, actually, not not Joe Biden, but Ed Jitlowski, and he uh, was. He told me today, he's like, I did this and I did this and I did this and oh yeah, and I cleaned out the box as well today. I got a lot, lot done, and I'm like, well, that's that's part of the reason why I think your goats grow so well, is he he cleaned out the box a lot. He cleans out those. He probably cleans up those pens every two to 17 days, two weeks, 17 days. Yeah. I think I just feel like that spending time on the little things with kids gives you such a huge return. I agree. I agree on that. Um, but I will tell you that growing kids though, is not always a race. And, and I have, my wife and I have been thinking about this and experimenting with this and, you know, you can have slower growing, maturing lines and not always have huge kids and then them not succeed as milkers too. You can, you can have that. Yes. And I, and you can blow kids out too. I mean, you can, you can really push kids, you know, you can give them lots of grain, you can get them fat and huge and, and 
that's not good either because you're going to pay for it in the end. They're they're You're going to absolutely their shoulder structure and kidding problems. And, and, you know, you definitely don't want to do that. Don't be stingy on the groceries, but also don't over push them. Absolutely. Because I, I kidded a fat one out today and let me tell you what, she was not a hard worker. Oh, that's sad. Yeah, I know. I know. That's okay. All right. Uh, I think we hit the nail on the head there. I think we did too. Cameron, where can our listeners find more out about Goat Gab? Uh, Laura, we got more questions. I know it's oh, late. we do? Yeah, three questions every time. Okay. <laughs> Laura's like, buckle up. I don't know where this is going. Sorry. Oh, no, you're fine. You're fine. We're still experimenting with this. Hey, Laura and Cameron. I hope you're having a good kitten season and doing well. I have a question and need some advice from some people that have been in Adga forever. What's the best way to register goats for my kids? The first couple of years, I had a big family membership, insert last name, then family. But over the last couple of years, I got the kids uh, youth memberships, and I put half in one kid and half in the other. This year, we're adding to our herd and doing some hard calls. And I'm trying to figure out how to make things even between the two. I was wondering how you guys have done this or if you would do anything different from that. Thanks. Oh, gosh, that's a hard question. Yeah. Because, Cameron, when you guys were growing up, you each of you kids had – you and your brothers had different animals that you owned, right? Because didn't Evan have the La Manchas? Evan did have La Manchas, correct, and I had the Alpines. Okay. And but but my uh, well, there were more of us than just us two, and then Kenyon had La Manchas, and then Griffin kind of had a hodgepodge of everything because he was the baby. <laughs> but did they have animals that were registered in their own name? Yes, correct. Okay. See, my kids did too, and like when we started out, each daughter had an Alpine, and we just registered we registered some animals in their names and the ones that were mine i registered in all of our names and that tended to work out really well when all of them were showing as youth and so um then when adga added the embedded youth show it worked out great for the two younger daughters elizabeth had aged out by that time and they could show their does in the embedded show and then as they slowly got out, that's kind of caused some challenges for us as a herd because all of a sudden I'm transferring goats back into our main membership with all the people's names on it so that eventually, you know, all, all of us can show all of them. We're not worried about youth anymore. So that's a really convoluted way of saying I think you have to know what your goals are. If you're going to be showing at a national show, you're going to want to continue to have, have goats registered in your kids' individual names, because that's the only way that they can show them in the embedded youth show. If that's not something that's important to you, or you don't plan to do that, my next advice would be to look at your state 4-H and FFA rules. If you're going to show at the state fair and make sure that what you're doing is compliant with what can work for that. Yeah. I think that's where you have to start. Honestly, like outside of the big goat show, Edgar world, 
I think you have to start there because that's where it's going to impact the most. Can you show a goat under a family unit or under a, under XYZ there on that? Or can you do it a different way and kind of understand what as well? So one thing like my dad did, and I really appreciate this, and he's going to listen to the podcast. And he's going to be like, oh, thanks. Um, but, but you know, he kind of gave us ownership of it so we could own the goats. Like we felt like, at least I did, I felt like we could own our own projects there, for lack of better terms, um, and really helped us feel like, hey, we were part of the managing and raising. And even though he was helping us along the way there on that, because our names were on the paper. So I think that's that's like a sense of ownership there to the kid is really, really cool. Um, would really, really help me get involved in the project more on that. But it was an initial investment up front to transfer all those goats from my dad's name to all of our names. And I mean, at seven bucks a transfer, and it's not cheap. Right. And that's, you know, that's something you have to have to consider there, you know, for sure. Um, I can also share a little bit of a flip side. Mm -hmm. If you have, if one child has animals that maybe that line doesn't turn out as well as another line. And so you decide to get rid of that line. Sometimes that causes problems between kids. You got rid of all of my goats. So I don't have to chore anymore. Or, well, I'm not going to show that goat. That's your goat. So just have to know your kids and have those hard conversations amongst all of you and get it figured out. Um, but definitely, as Cameron said, the place to start is to know what your state, what your state fair, your state 4-H or your county 4-H rules are, because they're going to spend most of their time showing at that level instead of at a national show level. You can always transfer a few animals to the kid's name for a national show and then transfer them back afterwards if that's, you know, what you want to do. Yeah. All right, Laura, that's all I got. All righty. Now you want to tell people where you find us? Yeah, you can find us on the internet, on Facebook, Go Gab. Um, You can also find us on anywhere where your podcast, Apple, iTunes, Spotify, uh, anywhere you can get them, Pandora, I think as well. Um, I thought Google Podcasts was ending, so um, yeah, we we anywhere you can get your podcast, you can listen to us. We appreciate your time. We appreciate y'all listening. If you got a question, feel free to throw it in the Google form. If you uh, want to give us some feedback, shoot us a message. We love to listen to feedback, um, and we got some great recommendations as well for some um, uh, more podcast episodes. Thank you for joining us again. Happy kidding season. And I hope to see you on our next episode of Goat Gab.